Welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising Podcast. It's James Gifford. Hey, and we're bringing back a series that we did in 2017 uh, around the 12 days of Agile. Um, it's really focused on those 12 principles of Agile and, and uh, that you're getting ready to listen to number five. Build projects around motivated individuals, give them the environment and support they need, and the trust them to get the job done. You know, in my background, I've been a scrum master, I've been an agile coach, I've been um, a director of process and tools and agile transformation and and been a consultant, uh, leading teams of consultants. Um, So for me, this, this kind of principle really hits home. But I guess if I have to look back and I look back on this episode, you know, 2017, you know, I... I really wasn't as focused on like the important things. I wasn't focused on psychological safety. I hadn't yet found intent-based leadership. You know, the, a lot of the stuff that I'd kind of been looking at around that time was, you know, Jorgen Apello's management 3.0. He just kind of, about a year earlier, he had just released managing for happiness. Um, I, you know, I hadn't really found Chris Avery's responsibility process. And there's a lot of great books and information out there that, you know, I hadn't been exposed to. So for me, you know, 2017, I wasn't really thinking about psychological safety. Um, it just felt like that soft, crunchy, um, the soft, crunchy side of Agile that I didn't really care about. And as I look back, you know, I was probably one of those people that was more concerned about inflicting Agile on people than inviting them. Um, and now I've learned and grown a lot in the last, you know, mess of years. It's, whew, is that four years ago, five years ago? Jeez. You know, and I've, and I've had to really focus on building high-performing teams as a, as a leader and figuring out how to really up my game. And through a lot of self-reflection, um, using the Enneagram and, and figuring out my personality and then working to figure out how to better interact with other people's, my strengths, my weaknesses. You know, it, it's forced me to kind of really dig in and look at how I lead and what is important and really trying to, to focus on that. Um, as I listened back through this episode, and I can tell you I probably didn't pay much heed to it Um, back then, you know, Chris and Andy, you know, the insufferable Chris Merman, you know, him and Andy are are on this show. And, you know, the interesting part of their conversation is, you know, there are a lot of informal leaders in companies, agile coaches, scrum masters, product owners, they're as much accountable to creating that same culture, that same environment, as much as a manager, as a director, as a vice president. So I, you know, I had never really thought of it like that um, until I kind of went back and dug into the episode again, um, kind of preparing to record this short intro. So I think there is some really good gems and nuggets in there. Um, You just got to get past listening to Merman talk. He's an insufferable person. And I kid. I, I say that in jest. I love Merm. Um, but this is a really excellent show. Uh, I'm glad to get in the Wayback Machine and kind of get a different perspective. 
Um, and we'll also link in the show notes as well. Um, cause I had to go back and listen to Andy's podcast, um, around organizational silence that he recorded probably in that November timeframe. I'll have to find it. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, but it gets into people not speaking up psychological safety. Um, and it really helped drive some of the things that he's talking about in that, in the show, uh, home. So, Thanks for listening. We really appreciate everyone um, as we head into the, you know, the holiday season. So happy listening. Hi, I'm Carmen Medina, and I survived a 32-year career as a heretic at CIA. And welcome to Agile Uprising Podcast. On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me five golden rings. Four calling birds. Three French and two turtle doves. And a partridge in a pear tree. Welcome to the 12 Days of Agile. I am uh, your host for this particular one, which is number five. My name is Chris Merman, and I am joined by my uh, brother in Soul Patches, Andy Clef. Hello, Chris. <laughs> uh, so we are doing, uh, again, we are doing principle number five. This principle is... Build projects around motivated individuals, give them the environment and support they need, and trust them to get the job done. So I will start it by this. Uh, Andy, what, there's a lot behind that. This, this I'm, I'm passionate about this pr- principle most right now. Um, what, what sticks out to you most about this principle? For me personally, it's the concept of motivated individuals. Like we've done on some of the other podcasts, we, we tend to, to take the principle apart into pieces, talk about the pieces and then reconstruct it. But oh, now that I'm looking at it more, it's individuals, it's environment, it's trust, it's everything. Yeah. Sorry. It all sticks out. It's one cohesive thing. It, it is, again, a core of the mindset that there are individuals that need to be motivated. They need to be in a healthy environment. They need to have support and trust. And they need to have some job slash project, some vision that they all believe in. So why don't, why don't we dive in and take it apart and then put it back yeah, together? Yeah, yeah. No, no, in short, no single piece stands out. <laughs> well, you know, you, we could start at the very beginning, interestingly enough, because it says build projects, and which, you know, again, this was back in 2001 when the word project wasn't quite such a nasty word. Maybe if they were updating these, which they don't need to be, but they were updating these. They would probably take the word projects out and and hopefully replace them with the word products, right? Or even broader than that, Chris, as we embrace concepts of modern agile that take it beyond traditional concepts of software and IT Mm -hmm. projects. Build solutions, maybe. Yeah, build stuff. Yeah. Build things, not even things, because then that implies physical. Build value. How about that? Build value around motivated individuals. I like that. Right. And and then it could be anything. Yeah. When I do the manifesto, when I'm in training classes, I always, I always tell, you know, cause I, there's a lot of times I have teams that don't, aren't, aren't building it solutions. And so I say, whenever you see the word software, just replace it with solutions. And then, and that usually kind of satiates those people that are like, well, we're not building software kind of a thing. Um, probably the same thing applies here. What is a motivated individual to you? There's a couple of concepts that come out. Most of our listeners would be familiar with Dan Pink, Mm -hmm. his book, Drive. And he talks about human motivators, autonomy, mastery, purposefulness. 
that comes into play. Also a fan of Jorgen Apollo's Management 3.0 idea of motivation. And he has a wonderful exercise that I do with a lot of my teams, either when I arrive as a coach and enter the team or the team undergoes some dynamic change, whether it's uh, someone leaving, someone arriving, new project, new PO. Jorgen called it Champ Frogs, uh, his acronym on the, the, the 10 intrinsic and extrinsic motivations that humans uh, respond to. Are you familiar with that exercise? As you were saying that, I was racking my brain going, you, you, you know you've read this before. Moving motivators is what he okay. calls it. The acronym is what threw me off. The acronym stands for, and I can't recite it all, curiosity, honor, autonomy, mastery, those power, those sort of things. Gotcha. That's as far as I can get with the champ and then the frogs. But it's always interesting to, to sit down with a team and say, at this point in time, let's just rank these from highest to lowest for you. There's no right or wrong. What motivates you? Is it mastery? Good to know as an individual, because we might then give you the really hard things or the things that need learning. If you need autonomy, maybe we don't insist on pairing or mobbing. And all these things come into play when you look at the individuals that make up your cross-functional team. What motivates them is as unique as they are. Jurgen has another YouTube video that, that on an exercise that is, that's kind of coming to mind that sounds similar, which is everybody draws their own personal map of themselves. Um, and it could be, it's like a word, word map kind of a thing. Some people, have, they have like a few, a few words that are kind of sprinkled around their name and some get like really intricate with their, this word connects to this word. And it's kind of, it just kind of tells a story of who you are as a person. I have in my, who am I slide of my presentation decks. It's basically just, these are a bunch of things that these are words that mean something to me kind of a thing. The, the point of the exercise is you, you draw a map of who you are as a person and you show your teammates and the, the team, then he does an exercise where the teammates can ask you questions about like, oh, I see you're into fly fishing. Where have you been fishing before? Or, or you're into Minecraft. Is that something that you do with your kids? Is, you know, what, how did you get into, you know, so by asking these questions, you see not just who they are for their work, but who they are as a person, which connects each other and, and, and we can be motivated in our own way. See what I mean? Exactly. And it takes it away from one of the anti-patterns that I see. I'm sure you've seen it. We've talked about it. The idea that we are resources, build projects about highly optimized resources. That's not <laughs> what this principle says. Squeeze the most value out of them. See them as sort of the hearts, hands, and minds that they are, and recognize that your motivation might be on a Friday afternoon to get out early right. because the flying fishing is good. And when we know that about you, we're not scheduling retros at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. It keeps your motivation high. Yeah. Or if uh, someone's got a parent of young kids, you know, s scheduling an 8 a.m. stand-up may not be the best because they've got kids to take to school or, or maybe everybody's a remote worker and you could do, you could do a, you know, you could do it at a random time kind of thing. Like knowing those things helps, helps that, which gets to the next part of the statement, which is the right environment. Learning what motivates us helps add to what that proper environment is. So you, you touched a lot on the psychological aspect, the emotional, the intellectual uh, obviously, another big part of it is physical for teams that are co-located. Even if they're distributed, I, I guess connectivity 
tools mimics that physical connective environment. There's also finally the piece that I think your personal maps might begin to expose the spiritual aspect of what we do. We don't talk about it a lot, but I think I can go there with you, Merm. It's funny you say that because I, I, I consider this principle to be, this is the leadership principle. Like what if I were to define who, who an agile leader is, they embody, they embody this principle to the core, right? They say, how do I make, how do I help you be the best and the most motivated you can be? What is the environment you need? Well, most people think is, well, we need to get rid of cube walls and have a, you know, an open floor plan, better coffee, or, oh, we'll get them a ping pong table. That'll be a good environment. And, and often, I don't think that the, I think the physical space is probably the least important aspect of the environment. I, I, I think that you and I, and, and we talked before about organizational silence, uh, and you, you know, you, you recorded a podcast about that recently. That's part of the environment, right? Psychological, spiritual safety. Do I feel like I can say something? Can we do something if we need to? No, I don't think we need to be building this feature. No, I, I don't think that, I think this infrastructure is, is too, like we're putting too much into it. We need to be shipping more. What's our quality like? I don't feel like I'm out loud to, to disagree with you, you know, scrum master or product owner, right? Like that's, that's, all that is way more damaging than if you're looking at a cube wall. That is packed into this principle, this holistic way of coaching that you just described so beautifully. I want to throw out there that so much depends on the team and the organization that you're in. I have a couple of developers that I know that would love to go back to cubes. And I would have a beer with him and explore this. You want to go back to private offices and cubes? Yes, the surrounding chatter that erupts when the Nerf guns go just ruins my concentration. I think it's it's just absurd. And then the the other teams <laughs> who have the Nerf guns need playtime. Perhaps in this particular example, it is that individual teams are building separate projects, have separate identities need separate team space design. And, and so they, they need different environments. Yeah. And it's possible that those both of those mindsets can coexist in the same company. Yeah. I think so. Going back to organizational silence, right? Like it starts at the top. Okay. So if, if leadership is saying, look, I don't have all the answers. I need you all to help me with the answers. What environment do you need in order to have that? Like that's a lot for a leader to say. And I, I, I don't know that many of those exist. I know that they, I know they do, but it, I guess it depends on the size of your company. The bigger the company and the more layers between teams and, and executives there are, I, I think that the stigma is, is that it's not the case, right? Yeah, that's a parallel and possibly separate discussion about how the leadership or the stakeholders, that which is outside the team boundary, what environment and support they need. Let's bring it back to the whole picture, the physical, the environmental, the intellectual, emotional, spiritual. And we know what motivates our individuals because we've looked at either the pink model or some other Myers-Briggs or take any, any one of those visualization models. I love personal maps as well. As coaches, we can then become aware and tune into the things that detract and nourish the motivation of the teams and and in that way give them what they need and it's going to be different with each team and each collection of individuals 
Sometimes it's quiet time. Sometimes it's play time. Sometimes it is a ping pong table. Sometimes it's the lack of a ping pong table. Right. I think the uh, the part that I probably struggle with most as a as a coach is when when I start off with a program or a, a set of teams. I think it's just assumed like, okay, well you're going to observe us and then you're just going to tell us what to do. And I do have that ability, I guess, if we really want to, but there's an arrogance that I have to fight to say, I know, right? Like, oh, you all responded this way. Well, here's a lever that I can pull or here's a switch that I can flick, right? I don't know what a team needs any more than they do. And so when I think of building the right environment and creating like all different aspects of, of the, the best environment and support they need, I think that it's a journey as opposed to a, like a, a Lego set that just comes with instructions and then you put it together and there you go. You've got the death star, right? Like right. it doesn't, the journey is what's the hardest part to understand. Like if they don't, if they're not willing to come with you, if I can't set the stage and say, this will be messy. This is a journey. I wanted to walk with it. I want to with, walk with you in it. You know, some scrum masters, they may need more one-on-one time to, for, for coaching. Some teams may need, they, they may have the maturity to, to already put, set up their own, you know, CICB um, pipeline, or they may, their code covers may be great and they're releasing just fine. They just don't, you know, they, they have some other things that they need to work on. Like maybe it's the, maybe it's the business that they're struggling with, right? Like so all of that means I have to go on a journey with them and they need to be prepared for it not to take more than for it to take more than 5 minutes, right? Do you show up with that sense of vulnerability, Chris? I've never seen you in action. Day day 1, whenever I have I have kind of like a a quick start depending on how many days I have to get a team up up and running. Um I have a I have like a like a quick start. You know, we go through these kind of team cadence and norms kind of things. We go through the look at their backlog and try to create their backlog and you do mappings and whatnot. And, but before we do any of that, I set the stage with some, some rules of engagement. And the first thing I say is in giant letters, <coughs> excuse me, I say, this will be messy. Like, like I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to front, like pretend that I've got all the answers because I have some answers, but I don't know if they're right for you. They may have worked with other teams or organizations, but it may make, may work or may not. It's going to be messy, but I promise you it's going to be – we're going to get somewhere, and I'm going to try to make sure we have as much fun as possible. That's pretty powerful. I'm going to, I'm going to play the devil's advocate. Does anybody raise their hand and so and, and ask to say, uh, Merm, I, I thought we hired you because you were the expert. You, you mean you don't know what we're supposed to do here? Well, I say that I'm an expert in um, – I, I, yeah, expert with – air quotes, right? Like, you know, have I, have I been teaching business agility for a while? Yes. Have I, do I have a lot of the principles memorized or mostly memorized? Sure. Like, can I, can I take them through um, a backlog refinement session? Sure. But that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that it's, because I know the, the, the steps and some principles of business agility, that doesn't mean I'm an expert in them. Right. So I have to, and this, I don't know if this is where you were leading me to, but like, just because I'm, just because I know some things about business agility does not mean that I know how it, how it exists for them. I don't, I'm not experts in them. They may not even be experts in them. So I can't, I can't put my hands up your back and make your mouth move or make your hands type the things on the keyboard that they need to be done. 
I can only tell you how I've done it in the past, and it's up to you to figure out if those are the things that are right for you, or maybe you'll carve your own new path. This is exquisite, Chris, because the teams that you're working with have an equivalent capability, in your case, in software development. They don't know the solution they're going to produce in advance, yet they have the basics, the foundations, and then some um, at their disposal. And you walking in with with that wide open saying, (laughs) here we are, here I am. I think that's wonderful. For me, suddenly a light bulb went off. It exposes the trust element of this principle. They trust you to get the job done, which in this case is coaching guidance and you trusting them to give you feedback. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's a part of, you know, when they say, when we say give them the environment and support they need and trust them to get the job done. When we say them, like trust them, that has to go both ways. I heard someone say the, the best thing a coach can do is just create the best environment you can for a team and then step back and watch them go. Right. That's, that's trust on my part to, to for them to, them to do their thing, but it also needs to go the other way, right? They need to look at me and say, okay, well, Chris has said, or Andy has said, you know, hey, this is going to be messy. It's a journey. I don't necessarily know which way it's going to go. We'll know in a, you know, in a couple weeks we can, we can talk about it. They, if they can look at us and say, okay, he doesn't have all the answers. He does have some answers. And he's not sure if they're the ones that we need, but he's willing to stick with us and give that to us, right? Like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to leave you until you say you're good. I, I trust you to say, hey, Chris, we're good. Th- that's, that has to go both ways because if, if I trust them and they're, they're feeling uneasy about it, like what's, what's the whole point in me spending time with them? It's the same for the people that hired you. Yeah. They need to trust you to get the job done. And they're going to – and teams have to trust us to be able to speak to leadership and say, hey, your, your people are hurting, right? As a consultant, sometimes, you know, they look at me and say, well, he can't be fired. He, you know, he's just here on a contract. He doesn't have the same pressures on his job. We can share with him and then he can be an advocate for us. And also leadership can say, hey, I've tried telling them this 75 times and they're not listening to me because I'm the one that with, you know, VP or executive director or something by my name you know, they they dismiss what I say. Well, so if I can be as a coach and advocate on both sides, right? Maybe, maybe the, maybe the, the manifestation of the right environment and support from a coaching perspective is we need to be willing to turn both directions and say, are you sure you're listening to what your people are saying? And the team to say to the team, are you sure you're listening to what your leadership is saying? Or are you dismissing that? It echoes back to voice or silence right, to me. Right. I, n- I know you know me well enough to know I don't do silence very well. I, I will fill, I will fill, fill the air with, with some sort of sound if it needs to be done. And that's usually <laughs> valuable. I'm the court jester of the Agile community. I'll say that. Well, not only that, but oftentimes your vocalization creates healthy conflict, healthy collaboration, as opposed to the opposite, which is just be, you know, semi-silent disagreement, which sucks. I love that you said healthy conflict. We should, we should end on this note. In terms of this principle, like what role does healthy conflict play into the environment and support that teams need? Hmm. I think it is the f- 
trust foundation that underlies the ability to have healthy conflict, to value mm -hmm. conflict. Without trust, they'll just be backstabbing and biting and the lack of safety in the environment. If we're going to value conflict, we need an underpinning of trust, a healthy, supportive environment, motivated individuals, and then something that everybody sees as valuable. How do you model healthy con Like if you were to say, if you, if you had a team and they're like, Andy, can you teach us how to have healthy conflict? Is that, is it, is it simply modeling it that we can do for them? Or is there an exercise that we can do? How do we, how do we help encourage and teach in a, in a, in a safer environment, a better way to have conflict? Yeah. If I knew the answer to that, I have ideas that I'm exploring and, and we've shared a lot of them before. Some of it happens in one-on-ones when somebody comes to me attempting to triangulate. What an asshole Chris was in that meeting. Did, did, you, did you see how many times he cut me off? He doesn't want to listen to a word I say. I asked them one question. How did Chris respond when you told him that? And there's usually this amount of silence. <laughs> what is preventing you from talking to Chris directly? I can, I can moderate. I can mediate. I can, I can be your dummy while you practice, but the only way you're going to solve your fear of conflict with Chris is to talk to Chris. So what's in your way? Well, I don't know how he's right. going to respond. Okay. What motivates Chris? What do you know about that personal map he drew? Find, find a mm -hmm. way to talk to Chris in a language that he'll understand. Yeah. And bust through it. I, I have a little more difficulty when I'm in a more traditional hierarchical space where uh, voicing up is not the norm and it's more difficult because it's viewed as um, insubordinate. I'll throw the question back to you. How do you deal with that? Well, so I, honestly, I, I think that when I was thinking of how I would model healthy conflict, I mean, it's the retrospective. Right. That is, there is no greater exercise than sitting in a room saying, we're not going to leave this room until we pick something that we can improve on. And we're going to talk about it until we do. I can, I can show you the games. I can show you the exercises. We can do stickies. But at the, but at the end of the day, we have to pick something. You know, the first couple of retrospectives are always the hardest. So when someone says, says something that touches on a nerve, especially if it touches your nerve as a coach, uh, the thing that I struggle with so much and I, I want to get better at is like when they say something that I am like, what do you mean I didn't coach you how to do that right? Or what do you mean you didn't see value out of, out of you know, iteration planning? Like what do I do when something touches on my nerve? The way I model it is, is maybe I put myself in a situation where I – I'm uncomfortable and then I have to respond. Like you talk, you talk about authenticity and vulnerability with our teams. Like there's nothing, there's nothing more vulnerable than you getting upset or, or reactionary and then having to go, wow, I didn't handle that. Well, this, you know, you said this and this touched on a nerve. Like that's, that's when, I mean, that authenticity is, is part of that environment, right? Because if you model that, then they're like, wow, okay, our, our coach, who's the quote-unquote expert, right, is doing it this way, right? maybe there's something to it. Yeah, that's a powerful way to collaborate, to simply say, whoa, that really triggered a live nerve in me. Let me, let me calm yeah. down here. Let me calm down here for a minute. That creates that environment, that support, and that trust 
that you want to catalyze in the team. Yeah. I, I plus one that model it show up yeah. with your whole self and say, yeah, guess what? We're humans. We have triggers. This is what mine looks like. And, uh, I, I'm not going to tell where the other 17 are. You're gonna have to find them on your own. <laughs> Man, you, you summed up this principle perfectly by that in the very end, just, Maybe sometimes the best environment that we can do is just by being our whole self, right? Yeah. And damn the torpedoes. So, so Horse Cow gave us these challenges, and, and we've covered most of them, but one of them was if we are going to redo the carol, five golden rings, how do we rewrite this step? Uh, Spirit of the original 12. This is a tough one, right? Does the number five have to be involved? He didn't give us, you know, really specific acceptance criteria. Because mm. it could be like five cube wall. <laughs> that's a that's awful. I don't even know how to respond to that. I I, I take Jay's challenge and I thumb my nose and it's five nerf filled guns. <laughs> we wow, we suck at this. I hope we're better coached. Let's let's leave five golden rings, but. Here's, let's play with this one. What are the five golden rings that are underlying this principle? There's uh, there's safety, trust, support, health, and conflict. There we go. Safety, trust, support, health, and conflict. The five golden rings of uh, the right agile environment. Beautiful. Okay, we're going to get out of here. I'm Chris Merman. I'm Andy Clef. What number is this, Chris? Five. Five? Yeah. Minus 12, seven more to come. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it.